the Ghost Goal Podcast. After six game weeks, Hyoming Son finally burst onto the scene with his first goal of the season as Tottenham beat Leicester City 6-2 at home behind a 13-minute hat-trick from the Korean. Arsenal exacted some revenge, winning 3-0 at a difficult Brentford team, while Manchester City kept on marching on with a 3-0 win against struggling Wolves. There's plenty of other results going on in the Premier League this weekend, but we had a couple big, big games uh, postponed as the Queen's funeral on uh, Monday earlier today uh, meant that there weren't enough uh, police available for both the Chelsea-Liverpool game and the Manchester United-Leeds game. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 372. Javier, uh, we're, we're definitely going to get to Arsenal because very uh, impressed by that result. But I think the, the first place we have to start off with here is Tottenham, begrudgingly, uh, we will admit that. It's not good and it doesn't feel good as a Chelsea, and I'm sure as an Arsenal fan as well, to see them win 6-2 against an admittedly struggling, extremely struggling Leicester side. But what was going through your head as uh, Son scored that those first two goals, the absolute laser finishes he produced uh, to basically key th- that huge victory for Tottenham on Saturday? Well, Alex, I don't say this often, and uh, I probably will nev- never say this ever, but Son- Human Son is the only player on Tottenham I don't hate. Um, I actually, like, I actually really enjoy watching him play. He's... I think he's a great player. and No, oh, I still hate him even if I enjoy watching him play sometimes. Well, you know, I just – I also – I don't know. Just him being the only Korean player to to be really, you know, like a superstar right now in in the, the world. Also, just – I'm rooting. I, I root say, for him personally. I was I was about to say, it's good that you threw in the right now because Park Ji Sung was an absolute – no, no. Yeah, I just meant right game. now he's the only like star in the game that's Korean, and I root for him purely because of that. Um, so it was good to see him for him personally to get off the mark. I mean, it, you could see the emotion in that first goal after he scored. It was an unbelievable goal. I was watching the game. It was no emotion. He was like re- he was like reacting like fucking finally like. Well, no, it was <laughs> like just like you could tell he that he was just there, like he was like faced. that's how good I am. Like you know, you guys all know how good I am. And he just reminded them there. It was just, but they all, you know, Tottenham fans love Human Son. You know, the the guy re-signed a new a new deal last year before Harry Kane, you know, ever has re-signed and has committed all of the rest of his future to to Tottenham. So the man's an absolute Spurs legend, and I think right now um, he has to be up there with with. Harry Kane, if they ever go on and win something, I mean, he's going to be remembered just as fondly, if not more fondly, um, if they end up do going on and winning a trophy this season. And I think him coming on the pitch, you know, as a substitute, scoring a hat trick in crazy fashion. I mean, he could have easily had four or five goals in those in those 30 minutes. I mean, he was electric. He was so good. Um, but Tottenham themselves, you know, they we, we've talked about it a few times on this pod. They they go down a goal and or they they you know they they face a little bit of adversity and it doesn't matter they just immediately come zero back zero panic zero panic zero panic they immediately they 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 keep executing the game plan they come back and they usually win handedly and it's it's scary it's really scary to watch um this is the best Tottenham team 
in 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 Premier League history. Oh, well, we'll see about that. I mean, they still need to actually you know follow through on it. No, uh, I, I'm just saying from a you, you, from a coaching perspective, a player perspective, talent. depth, everything, yeah. stadium, the 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 good feels behind Spurs. All of this is like this is the the big problem. You know, it could be the beginning of Spurs golden era. It could be, you know, it, it it's it, I'm sure it feels like that for a Spurs fan. And uh, as an as an Arsenal fan, it's it's obviously scary to see, you know, and we play them coming coming after the international break. So you'll see a lot of a lot of preview and content for that, I'm sure, when that uh, when after the international break. Yeah. So I, I do have to mention for this game that obviously uh, song comes on when Spurs have already scored, what, three goals? They just they, they scored the, the go ahead goal in the 47th minute from a terrible Ndidi mistake that Bentancur uh, converted. Son comes on in the 70, or I, I, I didn't see when exactly he came on. He scored his first goal in the 73rd minute uh, and then added two more within a 13-minute span to effectively turn this result into a rout. It, 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 was, a, it was a close fought game up until Hyunming Son coming on, which is why it's important to mention, and he definitely deserves... Uh, the credit for making it an absolute, probably the best result of Tottenham season so far. But before that point, I think it is important to mention in part of the analysis of Spurs that it was a pretty open game. Leicester seemed in it. They, they've done this a couple of times. They did it in uh, moments against Arsenal. They did it for large parts against uh, Chelsea when when they had the, the man up advantage, but still lost uh, barely. I worry for Tottenham still that they don't have that player in midfield that can control the game a bit more for them. Like I'm starting to think like maybe the Christian Eriksen Antonio Conte relationship at Inter wasn't as happy or as good of a relationship as people may may have thought because that would have been a player that if they had you know tried to bring him back he obviously you know had a good relationship. With a lot of people at Spurs, but they they weren't willing to pay him enough at that time. But if Conte had been able to like convince a player like him to come to Tottenham instead of United, that would have been the perfect player. That in these games like against like against Chelsea, I know they got the good result at Stamford Bridge by like taking like two set piece uh, chances and playing really directly, but they couldn't gain a foothold in that game. And there's going to be, I mean, there's a lot more teams in the Premier League now, even the, you know, so-called mid-table and lower table sides. They want to get on the ball and they want to control games and they want to attack you. And so far for Tottenham, that's worked out fine for them. They'll counterattack and, you know, take advantage that way. But you wonder if like when the legs start to tire a little bit, they're going to need to try and control games a bit, a bit more. And I'm just worried how how long they can keep that up. Like, yes, it's excellent in the first part of the season, but when we're in February and March, is it, are they still able to attack with that much like energy or counterattack, I should say, with that much energy and, and conviction? Um, we'll see, but it's something that uh, that's going well for them right now, but uh, it, it would worry me a little bit if I was a Spurs fan. That being said, still a really, really good result. And the fact that, you know, just like that Southampton game, the first one of the season where they went down early, they went down to a Tielemans penalty in this game six minutes in, and then two minutes in, two minutes later, they were, you know, right back level, and a couple minutes after that got the lead. And, you know, had a bit of a fight to, to win it, but 
eventually it wasn't close at all, just like that Southampton game. So uh, overall, you got to be very positive about how uh, Tottenham have started the season if you're a Spurs fan. Let's move on to you guys. You guys got a, uh, a nice little win yourselves. You woke up very early Sunday morning to watch this because I thought this was going to be more of a contest than it ended up being. But Arsenal ended up winning 3-0 at Brentford, uh, a venue where Brentford beat Manchester United 4-0 in the second week of the season earlier. So a lot of people were thinking if they get it right, they can really cause Arsenal problems. But uh, no, it looks like it was just a nice little kick around with the boys, as all the uh, the Arsenal players were saying, uh, you know, quoting Brentford from last year. Uh, what did you think of Arsenal's performance in this? And uh, are you ready to boot out Martin Odegaard in favor of Fabio Vieira? No, but uh, yeah, what a, what a debut from Vieira. Um, I remember, I mean, we were hanging out the day before and I forgot to mention him when we were talking, but then I texted you right before I went to sleep saying... I think Fabio Vieira starts tomorrow and, you know, I like I was very excited to, to see how he would do um, in that Odegaard role. And I mean, he's a he's a great player <laughs> already. You can see that this guy, it's it's rare to see a player come into a team playing so well, like Arsenal have been so far this season and to just seamlessly fit in. I mean, he really didn't put a foot wrong. He was great in midfield, pressed. You know, was a little bit nervous, like passing backward at times, but he also <laughs> was able to a few times play some dangerous through balls that didn't come off um, and then had a beautiful, beautiful goal on his debut, which if you're an Arsenal fan, that's a dream to have something like that. Um, but honestly, the the performance in the first half was was just crippling. I mean, we snuffed out Brentford completely. They had no chances. And we went up 2-0 on, you know, Arsenal have been amazing on set pieces ever since we got Brentford's coach at the beginning of last season. Um, and throughout that whole time, all of last season into this season, our set piece record is, is, is you know, up there with the, with the best in the Premier League. So just always going to be a threat from set pieces, which is not something that typically Arsenal have been. Um, we have we have a lot of big players in the side. We have actually, I think, the second highest uh, back line in the Premier League, um, which is also just impressive as well that we have that much height. Um, overall, uh, these, these are all things that Arsenal haven't had in the past, and it's completely changed my, like, starting to change my perspective on how good this team really is. I mean, this to me, this result was the biggest result so far this season, the best result, because... Teams have been going to Brentford and been getting, you know, Brentford's creating chances. No matter who you are, when you come to Brentford, you know, they're going to get a bunch of chances. They're going to get set pieces. They're going to bully you. None of those things happened. You know, we controlled the game from start to finish. And at no point was it wobbly. At no point did I think Brentford could, we're going to get into this game. And that's just something that is rare for Arsenal to do away from home, especially a team that they had scored 15 goals this season in their first six games. This was a team that's been rampant at home, you know, so to shut them out shows, number one, like our defensive metal. I mean, and it wasn't just like a shutout. Ramsdale, Ramsdale didn't do anything. I mean, it was it was that dominant of a performance. So Jesus was amazing. Again, he's so good at just linking up play at every single time a midfielder or a defender needs an outlet, he'll pick the ball up and play it back to someone or play a give and go or beat a player, turn, make a turn. I mean, 
He's just so versatile on the ball, and he's been given the freedom to do whatever he wants at Arsenal. He doesn't have to play like Pep wanted him to play. You know, it, it, we play a very similar system to what Guardiola plays, but Jesus just kind of gets to be a roaming forward. So all of our forwards get to be a little bit more free than uh, the system Guardiola plays. So it it it. Bukayo Saka again doesn't doesn't get the goal in this one. Had a couple chances, but uh, got two assists. Still playing well. And then the last one I got to shout out has got to be uh, Jaka. I mean, he was so good in this game from the start to the end. Defensively, being a leader, telling players where to go on the pitch. Um, offensively, you know, he's he's just become such a threat. He gets into the box now often. You know, he's always getting into the box. He's making dangerous, putting dangerous balls into the box. He seems really good at that, at dinking little balls from like 25 yards out like just just outside the box he dinks balls in for players like Martinelli Saka and Jesus and they have really good close control so all those players can control like a kind of a hard pass from him and then he he got an assist in this game doing that he almost got another assist to Jesus in the second half um, with like a hard like just kind of smash pass into the box and Jesus like one touch controlled it and then hit it on goal and almost got a goal but yeah Granit Xhaka was was awesome again this game um, and for me, he's been he's been one of the best players on the pitch. Like he, we need him every game right now. You know, I don't want Ode- or you know uh, Zinchenko playing that position right now. So I think the versatility so, of the team, where like some games you want are going to go over Tierney at left back. Uh, sometimes it depends on the game. I think having that okay, versatility. Yeah, well, let's make it let's make it simple. You're playing I don't know Liverpool or Manchester City. I think. Do you against, want Xhaka in midfield and then one of Tierney and Zinchenko playing left back? Against Liverpool, I want Tierney, and against Manchester City, I want Zinchenko. So it's it's purely matchup based. Absolutely, and it's okay. great to have that. Same with Tomiyasu and Ben White. I mean, we have four, I think, very good interchangeable pieces. That uh, just having depth is 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 a, another rare thing for Arsenal. You know, we've usually had a bunch of youngsters, and you know, been bringing on not not so polished players, but. Even 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 you know I've Eddie and Ketia and players like that they they've done well when they've come on so or haven't looked out of place so that's uh that, that's a good sign it's a very good sign for Arsenal going forward what what did you think Alex I know I've talked a lot but well yeah I mean you've pretty much covered the whole Arsenal side um I, I mean from the Brentford side of things I I was kind of expecting them to switch back to their usual like three at the back slash five in the at the back they, they played that all of last season but they did they did so against far. Us. No, they played Henry, me, Jansen, Ayer, and Hickey. Yes, they played five at the back. They went back to their five at the back. Apparently, yeah, that's they, what I'm saying. Yeah, but for most part this season, they've been playing four at the back. But because oh, okay. uh, Ayer's Ayer's the uh, the Norwegian center back, he's been uh, out injured, and so when he came back, they switched back to the the usual five at the back. But the four at the back that they've been playing with three midfielders and three up top, that's been kind of key to. Uh, them being able to press successfully left with only you know Tony and Embuemo up top kind of just neutralizes their press and turns them into like a sit back and counter kind of team which it's not that I don't like it when they they do that it, it just having multiple systems of play and multiple ways of playing available to you I don't know it's it's good to have like it seemed like in that Manchester United game not only were they pressing United high up the field but they were able to you know, hit them on the counter like when when it when it was available to them, 
this it just kind of made them one dimensional and it seemed like a system that arsenal were you know familiar with drilling and preparing for brentford, with brentford didn't play past. badly though brentford were I, not they, like I, I think they were i think they were terrible they, I mean, the only the right, only player well, that I that I was watching and thinking like oh he looks like he belongs on the field was was Hickey Hickey was the only one really and the, I mean Tony was completely you know there was zero service to him their midfield of De Silva Jan Elton Jensen looks looks decent on paper but those players got absolutely they were basically traffic cones to Vieira Partey and Jaka like Jaka th- those your midfield just played like the ball around them in circles or in triangles it was. They were non-existent. So, uh, yeah, not not a good performance from Brentford. And, you know, I, I think that had something to do with the 3-0. But just the way you guys, the way Arsenal started the game and the way Arsenal have been starting games this season, uh, very few teams have been able to withstand that and, like, stay in the game. So, do you, I mean, do you think this is going to collapse at some point? I wouldn't say collapse. That's not the word I would use. But I, I don't think it will maintain which, you know, Arsenal fans may read as me thinking you're going to collapse. But Well, so our next like, two games are Tottenham at home and Liverpool at home. If we go win-win in those, th- th- I, th- that's it. That'd be crazy, obviously. I mean, if you go win-draw in those, that would be really good. Right. And that's, that's take, you, you could that. see that. Yeah. Like, I, I could see that happening. Liverpool aren't playing well so far. Uh, yeah, it's. But yeah, I, it, I kind of feel like we're gonna go win-win, Alex, and then and then you will finally see. I think that will be when you will see the light. That will be the title of that pod: seeing the light after we go win-win in those two games. You have zero control of that. <laughs> Mainly because uh, it's gonna take a lot more than that to make me quote see the light. <laughs> You guys are going to have to go into like January and February uh, on this kind of form to make me see the light. So That's fair. That's fair. Uh, you know, I, I've been wronged by good Chelsea because starts too many it, times. You're Javier. right. The World Cup is going to affect too many things, I'm sure, as well. So. The, the World Cup effectively makes this season two seasons. There's like a whole new preseason that's going to be happening in November. That's, you know, instead of a preseason, it's going to be a World Cup. And then, you know, everyone's going to have to start all over again. Then the January transfer window comes into it. A lot of stuff is going to change between now and, you know, the end of this calendar year, let alone the end of the the uh, the 2022-23 season. Uh, but yeah, it's an excellent no worries, start, guys. no doubt. Fo- fo- footy will be back on Boxing Day. Of course. Proper footy. Uh, let's move on real quick and just mention that Manchester City Wolves game. City walked out 3-0 winners. Uh, they scored in the first minute. After about 40 seconds, Grealish got the first goal. Uh, Erling Haaland continued his uh, Terminator-esque stre- uh, goal-scoring streak in the 16th minute. And then Phil Foden wrapped it up in the 69th minute. Uh, there was an awful challenge by Nathan Collins, uh, the Irish center back in this game. He... So bad. I mean, did you see the he tried the, to karate Grealish's kid Grealish. cage. It was like it was awful. Yeah, I bet it looked awful. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Collins got like a longer suspension than the usual three games for that one because that was horrific. Uh, but yeah, City looking as good as usual. It, it's not really too many. Once they were already out of it, Wolves were already out of it when that red card happened. But then once it did happen, you just thought, how many could City run this up by? And it was kind of a good sign for Wolves that uh, they City just sort of eased off the gas and then got the third later in the second half and saw it out from there. God, Holland is just, 
I mean, what can you say about the guy? There, there aren't enough superlatives. He doesn't have to touch the ball a lot. He just he just scores. Doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, he's he's like brutally efficient, uh, which which you love to see in a striker. It's kind of a, a lost art for center forwards nowadays. It feels like he, most of like you the know who he reminds me of like Ronaldo, like Brazilian Ronaldo. Yeah, I can like see that. Like the power and like the he doesn't have the flair or the skill that Ronaldo had, but he has the power and he has the speed and he has technique. So he has he has flair in his finishing. Like that Dortmund winner he scores. Yeah, he has flair in his finishing, absolutely. And he, no, he's he's good on the ball. He did he did like a Ronaldo chop and like I watched him a few times. He he does, you know, he does some he does stuff. He's got footwork, but he's you know, he's not a not a not a Brazilian level like yeah, I mean, saying Five someone isn't exactly skills. Ronaldo, the, the El Phenomeno right. Ronaldo, isn't El an insult, you know? Yeah. It's just, if you kids never watched El Phenomeno Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, just do yourselves a favor. Just go just go watch some YouTube videos of him. I, like, I, don't, I don't even think you should form opinions off players based off YouTube compilations, but, I mean, you're obviously not going to get to watch any games live of his, so that's the best you can do. But, the man had like everything you could ask for in a center forward and the injuries just cut his career short from what it should have been. Uh, but yeah, Holland might be better than that. I think he already has more champions league goals than Ronaldo did. <laughs> like he's, he's like even more obscene than him in the champions league. So uh, yeah, let's uh, move on from Manchester City to uh, an early season relegation six pointer uh, Nottingham forest, uh, they had the lead again at home against a fellow promoted team and threw it away, losing 3-2 uh, to Fulham on Friday night. There was a couple games going on on Friday night. Uh, I don't know if you got to watch this one. Yeah, I did watch it. It was like a carbon copy of that Bournemouth game. I don't know if you guys know, but Nottingham Forest, the game before, the previous game they'd played, was also at home against a fellow promoted team, Bournemouth. Not a carbon Bournemouth. copy, but... Not exactly, no. They, they had a 2-0 lead in that, threw it away, and right. Bournemouth won 3-2. In this one, they had a, a one-goal lead, and then in the second half, they conceded goals in the 54th, 57th, and 60th minutes. So six minutes, they conceded three goals after leading 1-0 uh, from the 11th minute. To be fair, Paulinho's goal was ridiculous, but yes. Paulinho's goal was ridiculous, absolutely, but... The Harrison Reed goal, the, the third goal in the 60th minute, was the nail in the coffin. Like it was just the cheapest giveaway. Players ball watching as they tracked back. No one like marking uh, anyone arriving late in the box. Willian pulled two defenders to the near post to allow Harrison Reed to score. Like you're Willian that afraid of okay. Willian? He really didn't. He just had a like had a, a corner kick that Adarabayo scored, and then. You know, he made that run. Like, yes, he helped in, like partially for two goals. So, yes, I would. You can say that's a good game, but he's still Willian. Like, I was watching him like a hawk throughout that game to see if anything had changed. I was like, oh nope, same old Willian. <laughs> he gets the ball, stands over it for a couple seconds, wiggles his right leg for a bit, and then either passes back or tries to take you on and gives it away. So, no worrying about that. But it is nice to see him back in the back in the Premier League. You know, I'm not like completely. I don't really hate Willian. You know, just yeah, I don't hate Willian. Thought he was a little he bit did, overhyped. Uh, he did a great. You know, he, I, he, for Arsenal, he gave up two years of his contract, just terminated it, gave up that money. So, uh, I I still look at him fondly. It wasn't his fault we signed him. All for the low price of tanking an, an entire season, trying to get him to play well. 
But yeah, no, uh, the thing I'll say about Fulham uh, for this one, not that even was the worst all... Arteta mistake ever. I do need to say what William playing William that entire season. Yeah, I think David that's... Louise might have been worse, to be honest. David Luiz at least had good performances. William never played well. Fulham, you guys always talked about that Fulham game in the first game. Yeah, Yeah. he got three assists on the first game of the season and did absolutely nothing for the rest of the season. So he 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 was a Daniel James. Do you remember Daniel James beginning of his United career? He had Uh, like Daniel James now William's teammate on Fulham. He's on loan from Leeds. He had three like he's come to learn from his. Do you remember he had three screamer goals into the top corner? And like you were yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah. shit! This jan- first three or four games, he he had yeah, three sco- goals in the Premier League, and they were Dan like James, ridiculous he scored, screamers. He scored a deflected goal against Chelsea in that four nil in Lampard's first game, and everyone went crazy about him because he scored. Right, and, and like fourth. everyone was like, oh, Dan James is going to be incredible. This guy's amazing. Look how fast he is and skilled. The next and then the Ryan rest games. of the season, he tried that shot, like trying to the curl into the top corner, never did it again. <laughs> Never got another yep. goal. I think he got one goal like at the end of the season, but that was literally it. So, yeah, to Dan James. Um, but yeah, no. I for back to this Nottingham Forest and Fulham game. Nottingham Forest losing these two huge games to Bournemouth and Fulham, fellow relegation six pointers. I mean, you you, you got to call them as it is earlier in the season. Fulham are going to be in and around the relegation. Forest are going to be on there. Well, I mean, they might Bournemouth, not. Yeah, Fulham might not. Yeah, the way they're playing right now. But let's see. We've seen a, we've seen plenty of promoted teams have good starts to the season, and then a couple of injuries. Mitrovic goes down. They're done. So well, they brought in uh, former Spurs player Carlos Vinicius from uh, Benfica. Uh, he's got some Premier League experience. I'm guessing that's you know in, in anticipation of if that something like that does happen, they would definitely still be in trouble. But Vinicius is Carlos Vinicius, I should say. I don't want to mix him up with the. Uh, the uh, Real Madrid star, but uh, Real Carlos Madrid Vinicius, Vinicius, Vinicius. Yeah, you yeah, can't um, mix it up, Vinicius. But Carlos Vinicius, he is, you know, in his late twenties. He's been playing in Portugal for a while. I think he's played, got plenty of Champions League experience. He would be a pretty good backup uh, if uh, something did happen to Mitrovic. But I think the, the the good sign that Fulham are showing is that, especially in this game, they didn't need Mitrovic. To score, they you know Adarabio, Palinia, and Harrison Reed, a center back and two defensive-minded midfielders got the goals for them, and their overall play I thought was really good. Nottingham Forest, I'm still willing to give them a little bit more time before they start to you know maybe hit the panic button a little bit because they've got so many new players to, to to get involved in this team. You know, like Renan Lodi snuck into that team somehow, the Brazilian left back who was playing at Atletico Madrid a season or two ago. And he started this game, had some good moments and some other not so good ones. They've still got plenty of players that have only just started playing their first or second game in the Premier League because they came in late uh, after the, the at the end of the transfer window. So I can see a world where, you know, a few more weeks, maybe a bit more stability in the lineup and uh, Nottingham Forest start to turn their, their season around. But it's it's a tough one to take because the the home advantage for Forest was something that we both looked at as something that could potentially keep them in the Premier League. Like away from home, it was it's always going to be tough for them, but they have a really good home atmosphere. But for them to throw away or just gift three points to two of the their fellow promoted teams at home, it's, yeah, it's yeah, brutal. at home especially, it really, it's, it's just it really makes me uh, makes me think of 
Forest much lower these last couple of games. I thought I thought they were going to go win win in these games. So definitely not a good sign for Forest and. Uh, or at least draw, draw. That wouldn't be the end of the world. I mean, at least I've been those touting, teams aren't I've been gaining. touting that that the, that the back line they got to change those center backs, man. I mean, Williams and Lodi are good wing backs, but you just you can't. Yeah, McKenna, Warall, Cook, and Bully. Those aren't Premier League level center backs. Bully, Bully obviously has shown he can be. Bully's Bully's he like was, a wing he back. Was terrible. No, he's a center back. He's a Is big. He? He's a big. He's right. uh, plays for the Portuguese. I'm not saying he's great. He had a terrible debut in, in this game. He like made a bunch of mistakes and looked out of place. But I think that's just more part of what I was saying, where they just need time to, you know, get all those players playing together and, and build some chemistry in a single unit. Now it's just, you know, 21 players or whatever they added. They still have Serge Aurier that they just brought in the other day to get involved. It's, it's going to take a little bit of time and their results might suffer during that time. It's just how much can they get? Or how many points can they get while they're building that chemistry? And how good can they be once that team is fully established and, and playing consistently uh, and trusting in one another? So not a great start for Nottingham Forest, but we'll see how they turn things around. Uh, a manager and team that seems to have turned things around very much is uh, Everton, who got their first win of the season, 1-0 over West Ham on Sunday morning. They're on a five-game unbeaten streak. They had four draws before that. They have two clean sheets in a row in the Premier League for the first time in over a year. Frank Lampard turning it around, Javier. What do we, what do we think? They're lucky that our game with them got postponed. <laughs> They're, lucky They're lucky we didn't just smash them. Yeah, <laughs> that, we, that our wrath was unleashed on Brentford and not on them. But yes, because they got lucky and then they got to play West Ham at home here, they get back to, you know, they get a couple of clean sheets. No, but I mean, good, good for them. You know, Everton have kind of developed into, I think, a pretty decent looking team. Um, when I saw this Everton team on paper, I said, you know what? This team doesn't look bad. You know what? This team actually doesn't look bad. And I, uh, the, the one guy that seems to have been reborn is uh, Alex Awobi playing in the like, center defensive yeah. slash like box to box midfield role? I would kind of liken it to Joe Ellington at uh, Newcastle. These are two like attack minded, or like, Joe Ellington's a forward or striker, and Awobi was more of a winger. But the, these are two attack minded players that, by Eddie Howe and by Frank Lampard, have been turned into box to box midfielders, and they do a really good job at it. And this was the uh, the return of uh, Idris Agey, who yeah. uh, you know he was he was on PSG, used to be on Everton before that. Um, they had a midfield of Onana, Iwobi, and Gay, and just very hardworking, tackling. You know, not that amazing creatively, but they were basically able to just mostly keep. West Ham to, I mean, a couple of decent saves from Begovic, but I mean, they didn't have that many chances. You know, this was a, a, a good West Ham side they with hit a the lot post. of attacking talent. What, sorry? West Ham hit the post and, uh, and yeah, Bowen they had did a couple of good post. chances. Yeah, yeah, they did hit the post. But the Neil Mailpie finish, I mean, what a goal that was. Yeah, well, we really do have to talk about that one. We didn't really do much of a transfer deadline day thing where we mentioned him, but that's a, a huge buy for them. I'm not sure how much longer Calvert-Lewin's going to be out for, but you'd think like Neil Maupe and uh, Salomon Rondon, those two as like the, the the center forward options, they're both hardworking, 
They're both like a nuisance to play against. They're just annoying for defenders. You're always like looking over your shoulder to see if one of them's nipping in to take the ball off you, especially Maupai. Those two, I think, can sort of make up for, for things until Calvert-Lewin gets back. And then when he gets back, I'd be really intrigued to see how uh, Everton play maybe with Maupai and uh, Calvert-Lewin together with Gordon or Iwobi or someone like that just floating around behind them, trying to find the spaces in behind them. So Maupai is good enough to be their starting center forward by himself, but but with Calvert-Lewin, once he's back, that could be a really nice uh, like strike partnership that, that Frank has to, to contend with. And th- this is another team that's uh, switched from a five at the back. They weren't as married to it as Brentford seemed to have been last season. But Frank Lampard, just sort of like out of desperation to try and like park the bus and nip results. He'd been playing a lot of like three at the back systems with Cody in the middle and then uh, two more center backs either side of him. But now he just seems to be pretty much trusting Cody and Tarkovsky to make it work as a two, along with like uh, Patterson and Mikalenko as the the fullbacks. And that allows him to play uh, two wingers in Gordon and Gray who can, you know, help initiate that press a little bit higher up the field. It's a, it's an interesting team. I'm, I'm not going to like say like Frank is you know doing a great job, but he's definitely improving them. I, I, I definitely still see improvement. It's not like sexy, but for the situation that Everton are in, it's, he's doing like a pretty good job, I think. So I was going to say, no, uh, this is definitely an improvement. And uh, like I said, on paper, when I saw their team, I said, you know what? This isn't a bad team at all. And right. to have like found Iwobi into this new role you know, playing him there and, and having him thrive, I think you, you got to give credit to Frank. And at the same token for West Ham, at what point are you starting to get worried here? Because we are seven well, what, what games are you in the about? season for them. They've are you, got one thinking game. like that they might get relegated? Is that what you're no, worried about? No, but they have, the one, they have one win, one draw, you know, the rest losses. So that's a terrible start to the season. Four Let points. me phrase this a different way. Who's more on the hot seat, David Moyes or Brendan Rodgers? Obviously, Brendan Rodgers, because David Moyes has had a, you know, he had a good run with the team, got them to Europe, blah, blah, blah. So did Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers won them silverware. right now. Yeah, that's fair. I think Brendan Rodgers, maybe not. I don't know. Because Brendan Rodgers did also not really get any help in the summer transfer window. Got Fofana poached from him on the deadline day. I mean, it's just... But for West Ham, they've got, you know, they invested 150-something million into the squad. They a spent whole lot of a money. bunch of teams. So it, it kind of comes down to, like, how, how are their I mean, I think thinking? I think David Moyes has been given the fucking, you know, a, a Lamborghini or whatever to spend. And Brendan Rodgers driving around in a, in a you know, beat-to-shit beat Honda Civic, you know. So it's a little Damn, bit harder. Rough one to, for the to, Civic drivers to, out there. <laughs> Yeah, I love Civics, but uh, hey, they, dependable, like, reliable, dependable, reliable. They they play well. Uh, no, but <laughs> I mean, I would say Brendan Rodgers obviously is is a little bit more in the hot seat because Leicester have have had such a terrible start to the season. But David Moyes is closely behind it because he's been given so so many resources, and this is not a good start at all. They haven't had the hardest start to the season. They, I mean, okay, they did play Man City in their first game, Nottingham Forest away, Brighton at home. They lost that. Then they beat Villa away 1-0, drew Spurs at home. That's probably their best result of the season. And then they lost to Chelsea 2-1 and then just lost to Everton. And they got pretty screwed over in that Chelsea game. So I think it's important to mention that. Maybe they've had, you know, not the best start to the season. Maybe a few more games before we, uh, we start hitting any type of panic button or saying anything. But 
I think it's it's not a great way to go into the international break for them. I did notice in Match of the Day, the BBC Match of the Day, that uh, they showed that David Moyes has tried like a different front three or front two in every single game. And in every single one of those, the only consistent has been Jared Bowen playing somewhere. Uh, you could go through the permutations of what different lineups they played, but it's basically any three of like Skamaka, Paqueta, Mikel Antonio, Jared Bowen, obviously, Ben Rama, Fornals, like six or seven players that they've tried in different combinations and different formations. And just none, none of it has seemed like it I mean, we thought, we thought West Ham were going to score a bunch of goals because there was no Pickford. Right, and Begovic and the defense kept them to almost nothing. So, yeah, definitely a lot of work to do there. Uh, Jared Bowen has no goals or assists, so a, a part of you is just thinking, like, they need to find a system that takes advantage of his talent as much as possible. And once he gets going, everything else will likely fall into place around him. Yeah, it seemed but. like Everton had a better way of getting the ball to Gordon. They're, like, you know, main outlet. And they, they have already sorted that out, you know, with their midfield pretty much using him as the main outlet. But yeah, I, I, I don't I feel like West Ham right now, like you said, there's there's an enough of a cohesion in, in the front lines right now and Bowen's suffering because of it. I think they'll sort it out soon. Yeah. Uh, they have again, to. There's there, there's no worry about relegation for them, but uh for some reason people are are really worried about Leicester because they didn't spend the money. So yeah, we'll see how that works out. It's it's uh not been a great start for either team. Uh, just to wrap up the results this weekend, uh, during the 10 a.m. time slot on Saturday, Newcastle got a 1-1 draw with uh, Bournemouth. Very impressive uh, display from Bournemouth. And then Aston Villa got back on the right track on uh, Friday evening by beating Southampton 1-0. And now we come to an inter- international break. The last international break before November's World Cup. So uh, next weekend, no Premier League football. So nothing for us to really look ahead to or preview. But there are a boatload of games going on over these next two weeks, mainly starting Thursday through to next Tuesday. Javier, looking at the games, I, I entered a bunch of games that kind of caught my eye over that time period. So, you know, friendlies, Nations League games in Europe. What like two or three games are you looking at with an eye towards, I guess, like preparing for this World Cup in November? Yeah, I was going to say, the only reason we're really like talking about these or mentioning these, even though they're friendlies, is because this is really the the only look that we're going to get at these teams before the World Cup. You know, the World Cup is only two months away, so this is the, usually in the, in the international fixture before the World Cup, teams play their, mostly their full teams um, and call up most of the best national teams. Some of these national teams are calling up. Their full teams, some are calling a few, you know, one or two experimental players, um, but mostly their full squads. So Yeah, like a be, last audition for the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, like a last audition. Exactly. It's going to be your last chance to convince me to take you. So I'm sure that we're going to see some interesting starting lineups, but mostly, you know, the the full team. So first on, on Thursday, the first game, 245 Croatia-Denmark. That, that should be a fun one. Um, Denmark are going to be one of the dark horses. Croatia as well. I mean, they got to the final, you know, of the last World Cup. So these are going to be two teams that Denmark are going to think they can get far in this. Croatia are going to be expected to go far, at least definitely get out of their group and and go, you know, through to the knockout round. So this should be a a fun, competitive game with two teams that, that have amazing players and, you know, Modric, Eriksson should be, should be a good one. So that one's Thursday at 245. Let me see. 
Another one that catches my eye, uh, Portugal, Spain. That's Tuesday, 2.45. Two teams that probably favorites to... Wait, is Portugal going to the World Cup? They are. Yeah. You've done this like twice now. (laughs) Yeah, they are going to the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Portugal and Spain. Yeah, they're both probably going to be favorites to... Italy are the European team that didn't make it. Italy's the team, the big team, right. Because Italy were in that same, like, playoff group with Portugal, but then they couldn't even get past North Macedonia. Right, right. For some reason, I thought thought Italy was the one going and Portugal wasn't. But yeah, no, Portugal and Spain are both going to be up there. This is probably Ronaldo's last big tournament, right? You got to think. I mean, never say never, but but yeah, it's looking like it. And then for Spain, you know, they this is a team that we don't really know where this Spanish team's been. You know, they, they haven't really gone far in, in any competitions. That's okay. Come on, man. The, the Euros were last year. They went to the semifinal of the Euros and lost to Italy. You can't say that. I, I mean, like finals are winning something. I, okay, man. I'm just saying, like, if you get to the yeah, semifinal, I guess semifinals of, like the World far. Cup or the Euros, like that's a good run to... to but you're right. We don't know what this Spain team is really going to look like. And that's kind of like the how things go with, you know, a, a, an uber talented country like Spain or Germany or France or Brazil. Any of those teams, they're one year removed from the entire team looking different and then being, you know, this is so such much a better weird World Cup. Like this is going to be our only preview to see like kind of what these teams are going to look like because I don't really don't there 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 isn't the usual action it being in the middle of a year so weird you know there's usually a lot more build up it's just going to all of a sudden be on us so <sighs> well these should be fun friendlies should be fun. Do you have any other but friendlies you uh, that caught your eye? Maybe the Ghana Brazil game Friday. Yeah, that could be a really good one. Yeah, yeah 7:30 p.m. One. I don't know what Eastern Ghana's time. got a great squad on paper so that should be a fun, uh, a fun one. Ghana versus Brazil. I'd be watching that one more to to see how Brazil are looking because it seems like every every World Cup people want to say Brazil are you know the favorites, but once you get to the World Cup, they just fall apart and can't break down a low block. So I want to see how they do against like a a very talented and defensively solid Ghana team. So. Uh, the games I'm looking at that jump off the, the page for me are Japan-USA on uh, Friday morning, 8.30 a.m. That's going to kick off. Uh, so, you know, if you're working from home, throw that one on with your morning coffee. That's kind of a like a, a team from, you know, the Asian uh, conference that's a level above Iran. But, you know, still... They're still the USA is still preparing for this group by like facing teams you know from that same region Japan and then Saudi Arabia next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Um, that you know are kind of at the same or slightly above uh, Iran in the FIFA rankings um, but yeah I don't think that's the the worst idea for them but I'm a little surprised they didn't try to schedule like a bigger team like Brazil or someone like that to try and test themselves before that that England game in the group. And then the other two games that jump out are from the Nations League. Uh, Denmark-France is a preview of uh, their World Cup group. going to be really interesting to see how those two teams uh, approach that one. I think Denmark just beat France in the Nations League the last time out uh, with like two late goals from Andreas Cornelius, so which came out of nowhere. Um, and then that England-Germany game on Monday at 2.45 p.m. that... Again, two teams that you wouldn't be surprised to see each other in the knockout round of the World Cup, and there's obviously a lot of history there. They just faced each other in the Euros last year, and England won. Um, so, yeah, that, that's going to be a very interesting one to keep your eye on. 
Uh, yeah, and then there's other games like Iran, Uruguay on Friday, Qatar, Canada on Friday, Holland, Belgium on Sunday the 25th, Senegal, Iran. You know, you get yourself a look at some of these, not the big teams, but teams that, you know, could potentially sneak out of their group, maybe make a run for gambling purposes. Might be some good uh, opportunity to uh, do your homework before the World Cup comes up in November. That's about all the time we have for tonight. Javier, thanks for jumping on this one late as usual. Always appreciate it after uh, a hard shift at work. I appreciate you coming in and just jumping on the mic right away. Yeah, always happy to do it, man. It's always fun. Yeah, everyone. uh, If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, at JavierRev9. If you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you can follow me at ASMoss92. The podcast socials are at GhostGoalPod. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please go ahead and leave a rating and review to help new listeners find the pod. Enjoy these international games, guys. Stay tuned for another pod next week. I don't know what we'll talk about, but we'll find something. And until next time, see ya.